before we start, here's a message from one of our friends. Give us an opportunity to make you develop our own opinion, you know? I mean, how dare we? How dare we develop <laughs> our own opinions? Hi everyone, it's Ria, the host of Femme on Film, where a guest and I talk about films made by women, starring women, for women. These are films that have often been overlooked or unfairly derided, or where female filmmakers haven't been given the same chances as their male counterparts. And sometimes it's just a chance to talk about films that we love that happen to be made by women. If you like fun, insightful and patriarchy smashing chats about film, come and have a listen. Femon Film is part of the Comics and Motion Network and can be found on all your podcast apps. So come and join us. Smash the patriarchy! <laughs> Welcome to the show where people share their passions. Everyone is geek about something. I am your super dummy Paul on a mission to learn from people's experiences. This is Era of Geek. I'm going to be taking my usual end of year break to decompress and make some preparations for the next batch of episodes. I hope you've enjoyed this season. If you have, please consider leaving a review where possible. But right now, let's hear from our final voice of the year. I am Tanya Todd. I am an author, actress, screenwriter, and activist in Las Vegas. I thank you for letting me be on this show. I know that we are connected through the Comics in Motion Network, and I'm meeting lots of amazing people that way. And it feels like a safe space to, to nerd out without people judging you for being so silly about things. Yes, and we definitely need more safe spaces these days because it does seem like the world has become a bit prickly, shall we say. Yes, about a great number of things. So what are your, what are your sort of interests then? What do you like to geek out about? Oh, well, I love books and movies. I like comic books, some cartoons, anime. I really like good storytelling, so I think the things that are connected to that and that could be in the form of a graphic novel, it can be a television series, it can be a movie, it can be a comic. There are many ways that you can tell a great story. So one of my complaints about storytelling with some anime is the repetition where they have to, let's recap what you just saw. And so half the episode is going to be what you saw last episode. I don't need the recap, I just watched it. You know, it doesn't really make for effective binging when you don't feel like you're moving forward. That said, I love My Hero Academia even though they do that, they are so guilty of that, but I still love the show. Like the parts that they get right, they get so right. Enough that I will power through the frustration of the unnecessary recaps. Yeah, I didn't know that because I have to say, I don't watch much anime. Um, and it's one of those things that you kind of connect to a lot of older TV styles, the, you know, previously on and what happened and recapping the story. And it's not like that. It's not. I mean, I guess they do that a little bit, but I don't mean something that you could just skip at the beginning. They weave it into the show where let's have this flashback. Why are we flashing back to what happened last episode? <laughs> you know? How strange. I wonder why they do that. Maybe their target audience doesn't have the retention that, <laughs> that I do. <laughs> or maybe it's cheaper to rehash content rather than coming up with new content. And I suppose it depends on whether it's actually 
the show is based on a manga, so they are they have the source material already. Do they have to stretch it to get a certain number of episodes? I'm not certain what the reason is, but that that one aspect does drive me crazy. But you must love it enough to ignore that bit. Yeah, I'm wearing a Todoroki shirt right now. <laughs> <laughs> That's brilliant. Well, what is it about that that you love so much, do you think? I've always enjoyed super powered stories, you know, where characters have superpowers. It's one of those things that when you dream, I often have powers in my dreams. And, you know, it's funny. One of my least favorite characters is the character who has the powers that I know that I would have in real life. And it doesn't make any sense that I know this, but even before I knew this character existed, these are the things that would happen in my dreams. These are the powers that would just come to fruition in my dreams. And then, you know, I come to find out, oh, there's a character that already has this, but I don't really like her. And then there's this other character I absolutely love, but those aren't the powers that I would have. So I would look like one and behave like the other. <laughs> Let's test your geek cred. <laughs> no, my geek cred is very bad. There's a reason I call myself the super dummy. <laughs> <laughs> you were just saying you're the super dummy. <laughs> Well, Steve is probably screaming at the radio right now, you know. <laughs> That's, yeah, probably. Sorry, Steve. It's Jean Grey. Of course. I don't really like her, but she has my powers. I love Storm, but I, I can control the bad weather, not the good weather. Oh, so how comes you don't like Jean Grey then? What is it about her that you don't like? She doesn't have enough agency. She lets things happen to her rather than like, it's only when she's Phoenix that she takes control. And I absolutely love Phoenix. I prefer dark Phoenix, but you know, she's taking control of her own story. She's not worried what other people think. And Jean Grey is too interested in pleasing others and not rocking the boat. Mm -hmm. She's not confident enough in herself either. And I get that she's had some trauma, but some people handle trauma in a different way and I would. Do you think that's a result of the time that she was created and written and they haven't really been brave enough to? I do. I think that people are supposed to like her because she is that docile female. <laughs> and then we have other characters who are bolder and then people judge them for being bold. It's, oh, she's a bitch because she stands up for herself. Okay, if you need to put a label on it, but it means that I'm not going to be a doormat. There is a certain amount of we are still in a position where no matter what direction you take a female character in, people aren't going to like it because they just, well, dot, 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 read between the lines why people don't like yeah. it. <laughs> well, I think that's why I like Reburn so much because they get the female characters right and they're not all the same. You know, there's many different types of women. And I think the key may be having women write the women characters. Well, that went deep quick. Um. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I'll try to be lighter and fluffier. <laughs> no, not at all. We like deep. Just usually takes a few minutes before we get there. <laughs> but this is, this is the age that we are in, unfortunately. I mean, also fortunately that people are having these conversations. It is good to have the conversations. Yeah, too long they weren't being had. Or they weren't being had by the right people or enough people. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. 
So when you started this show, what kind of geeks did you have in mind? I think the idea was always to get people who geek out about lots of different things. But obviously, sort of the connections I have, it's started with a very comic book anchor. And it's sort of going away from there. I've had some, you know, people talk about movies and books and now had a couple of people talk about music now. Oh, I didn't even think about that aspect. Yeah. Is that a big part of your life, that music? Yeah, I love music. And I'm the kind of person that sometimes music can be, good music can be too distracting to to just have on in the background and do other things. Like I, I like to sit and listen with headphones where you can just zone in on one instrument at a time, you know? what is this doing through this album? Okay, so what is this one doing now? And I've done that with with many albums where I will just sit there and this entire run, I'm just going to focus on this. All right, now I'm going to listen to the whole thing again and I'm just going to focus on this. I don't have that kind of time that much anymore, but I, I love doing that. I mean, that is, I don't think many people would kind of go into that level of listening to their music of like picking out the different bits. But each instrument brings a certain element to the table and it would, you would lose it if you didn't have it. I mean, even just a, a simple band that has a guitar, a bass, drums, like if you, three instruments and then the vocals. If you strip away one of those instruments, it's an entirely different sound. And sometimes they play with that. Sometimes they layer. It's like, okay, we're going to start with this. And then we're going to give you a little bit of this and then we'll throw this in there and you can feel it just swelling and getting, you know, you get the experience is fuller because of the way they're playing with it. Try it with a Rage Against the Machine album. I mean, they, they have mastered it. It's interesting that you've managed to pick it apart so much, but that's not kind of the first thing that came to your mind. <laughs> You're right. Because <laughs> I don't associate <laughs> it with geek, I guess. I don't, I don't think about it in terms of geeking out, but it is. I mean, now that we now that we brought it up, it absolutely is geeking out. And it's funny, you know, we're part of that Discord channel. The music questions are the ones that are the most distracting for me. It's like, name five bands that, no, please stop. No, I, I came here to answer one question. And now I'm not going to be able to stop thinking about this <laughs> until I have my list. And I don't have time for this. This is not on my list of things to do, you know. <laughs> Those are the most distracting because there's so many potential answers to I, I find it harder to narrow down a list of songs or bands that's even harder than narrowing down a list of comics or movies and that's challenging enough so was there ever a time in your life where you thought music was going to be the direction for you <laughs> i was actually part of this terrible girl group really? but number one i'm not a good singer i can handle backup but i should not be the lead singer in anything. I don't have the confidence to to sing and hear my voice without other sounds. And that's the problem. When I'm by myself, I can sing no problem. But if I'm hearing it and other people can hear it, I lose my voice and I, I end up swallowing my voice. So I I had no business being in this group, but it was part of my modeling agency put it together. So it was really just, let's take four girls we think people will enjoy look, you know, watching 
and form a group. And it was, this is so lame. <laughs> you know, I don't even remember the name of the group. It was so bad. I'm glad it fell apart before it really got, before we recorded anything. It's just the whole idea of it. And then I was the lead in a musical, which again, I had no, I did not audition for the lead. I auditioned for a side <laughs> part because I cannot sing, so I should not be the lead. But they gave me the lead role anyway. And I told them I can't sing. And they're like, well, we'll work with you. We'll change the song. We can play it and you can lip sync it. It was ugh, no. And then they made me sing it live. Like in the end, all of those promises and they made me sing it live. And it was so bad. <laughs> wow. I mean, talk about traumatic experiences. This is the one thing you didn't want to do. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't say it was traumatic. That whole, that whole play was wrought with challenges and the, the tech side of it when we went live, they did, they were not on top of their stuff. Like they messed up entirely. There was a character who couldn't walk. Like he, he was confined to this chair and they lifted the curtain before that actor was on stage. So it's not like he could just improvise and walk out on stage and sit in that chair because he can't walk. So, <laughs> so we had to do the entire scene without him and just, wing it we had to you know change our conversations to include the questions or the the topics that he was going to bring up live in front of this audience so it is a testament to good rehearsal you know if you rehearse with these people you trust each other you know the play inside and out so we were able to get all of the key information out there but it was very frustrating as an actor on stage where you're just why did they lift the curtain why did they, like, how do you not know that people are not in place? You're not in, in charge of that. The director should be the one saying, okay, or the stage director, you know. <laughs> Someone just decided, oh, I guess they're ready. Well, we weren't. <laughs> wow. Tested your improv skills, I suppose. <laughs> yes. I mean, that's why you train, right? Yeah. Wow. That, um... So the singing, I knew I was going to have to power through and that it was going to suck. That was thrown at me <laughs> ah but did it help because it was a nice distraction you're no longer worrying about your scene <laughs> <laughs> no <laughs> it is one more aggravation i'm definitely grateful for the experience it that play right there i happened to get cast in a movie right after i got that play i shouldn't say right after it's like november i was cast we were performing in March and I was cast in a movie in in January and so we were filming in February which is through a lot of the rehearsals for that play and I'm the kind of person who doesn't show up to rehearsal without already knowing my lines it doesn't matter if we haven't reached the off book date yet I I'm just off book when I arrive so I had to learn the entire play and all of my lines for this movie and what it did is it helped me learn i can do that it's not easy but i do have the ability to do that and i would have thought it was an insane thing to even attempt and it maybe it was but i did do it and i am capable of it and so it stretched me as an actor in that capacity but it did give me a bit of that schizophrenia you know i'm 
I'm also a writer, so I have all of those characters in my head. And then I had these two characters who were very different people. Hmm. And then, you know, trying to remember who the hell I am (laughs) amid all of that. I found myself doing gestures in my real life that were not mine. They were (laughs) the characters. Like, why am I doing this? Wow, it's becoming second nature. (laughs) This is not my move. Certainly not afraid of a challenge, are you? No, I'm not. If you avoid challenge, then you're not going to grow. Definitely been thrown in at the deep end on a few things, haven't you? (laughs) 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 Although it is nice to know that, you know, there are plenty of people out there that have slightly incompetent moments that makes me feel a bit better. At least I haven't, you know, completely derailed something like that just by pulling up the curtain at the wrong time. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, that really screwed over the entire cast in a sense for one, that one actor didn't get to be on stage and give his performance Mm -hmm. when he had family in the audience, he had friends in the audience. I mean, he was there for the rest of the play, but this was an important scene. It's like, things were coming to the surface because of the conversation we were having with him and questions he was asking. He didn't get to ask any of those questions or be a part of that moment. Yeah. That must be, it must be frustrating because you've put so much work in, as you say, you're very dedicated to it even before, you know, you're two steps ahead of where you need to be. And it must be quite disheartening to have moments like that. And I'm sure in, you know, you get lots of moments like that in your career, you know, where, you're two steps ahead and then you come against a brick wall where you're suddenly got a person there who's three steps behind where they need to be. And you're all supposed to be on the same team. So you can't get too far ahead. But the the good thing is that the actors who were on stage, we elevated each other. Mm. Okay. So we all had the rug pulled out from under us, but rather than any one of us just going off the rail or just be, or breaking character or doing anything that should not have been done we work together and that was kind of an awesome moment where, all right, we're just going to feed off each other and make sure we get all of this important conversation in here so that the audience knows what the story is, even though it's not quite the dialogue that was here, we all know it. So that, that brought us closer. And it was also a good moment with that, the actor who was cut out for us with him because he appreciated us, including You know, like if we hadn't had all that rehearsal time, if we hadn't been working together and studying our scripts, we wouldn't have been, we wouldn't have had the tools to do it. You have to be prepared. Yeah. And then connecting it, connecting it to what you said earlier, that's kind of the importance of, that does show the importance of being in that situation. Like we were saying earlier, where you've got people who are speaking out about things and saying, you need to bring this perspective in. And then you've got other people that just aren't listening. Well, that just shows the perfect example of being in a scenario where you need to have a group of people and you need to be opening to listening to each other. This is why it's so important in every walk of life to just be open to listening to people because you don't know when someone's going to come along and pull the curtain up. Exactly. Outside of your, your geekiness, how would you describe yourself? Because again, this is part of, you know, being geeky is there is a stereotype to it. Um, you know, we've talked about some of the things that you like to geek out about that aren't necessarily 
in that stereotype but how would you describe yourself outside of your interest as well i'm very focused i thrive in darkness and i really don't need a lot of social interaction so for 2020 that was kind of a great year for me career-wise because i was able to just bunker down and do the things that i needed to do i could work out i could read i could write I even did some acting gigs from home because they were having us record from home. Either it would be a commercial that we're all doing on our laptops. So they're pretending like we're all on zoom, which we, I guess it's not really pretending we were on zoom, but we're pretending to have an office meeting. It's over zoom or recording on a regular camera and sending the footage in for movies. And they just, edited in that kind of thing my literary agent i i didn't have a literary agent when 2020 started but by the end of it i did and she said yeah you're a workaholic <laughs> and it took 2020 for me to realize that because i took a single day off that entire year and it was not a holiday or a birthday <laughs> <laughs> wow that is incredible I mean, your experience was kind of the reverse to most of the worlds then. Yeah, it was confusing to me where people just weren't doing anything. And I couldn't, I was like, but you have all this time. Why are you not doing things? <laughs> you know, now you can do all those things that you said you wanted to do. <laughs> and I do understand that some people were too depressed to work, whereas I channel my depression into work. It's, I don't want to think about the depression. So let me, let me hide behind my work. So that definitely isn't me judging other people for how they responded to their trauma. Everyone responds differently. And I happen to hide in my work, but I'm grateful for that because it means I get things done. Yeah. And you must, you must have built sort of a name for yourself. As you say, you, by the end of it, you managed to get a literary agent. You must have built a name for yourself as well through the hard work that you were doing and all the, you know, all the hard work you were doing, the gigs that you were doing when you could, how you could in whatever possible way you could. <laughs> I think some of it was that, but you know, this is one of those, all of my careers are in areas where it takes you 20 years to become an overnight success. You know, like you really, you have been working on it for years. So what I did is I didn't drop it. I continued to work it because just as easily you could, you can have this great movie come out. And then if you don't have anything come out, it's over, it's past, nobody cares. You're not, if, if you're not working now, you're irrelevant. That's the way people treat you. So I think it's because I was continuing to nurture relationships and continuing to put in the work. I was still writing. I was, I ended up co-hosting podcasts with the And I Thought Ladies because they haha -ha, thought I had nothing to do. So they were like, well, why don't you work with us? They didn't need my help. They were just giving me all of these wonderful opportunities to meet fantastic people. And that's how I ended up with my talent agent too, who happens to be over there with you. <laughs> yeah, that's incredible. I mean, you certainly didn't pick an easy path for yourself, but. I don't think I picked it. No? No. Because the writing started when I had this dream. So I had this dream, I started writing it. So I feel like that chose me. And the first book that I wrote was about a woman who quits her day job and becomes an actress. 
And that manifested into my life too. I can't say I chose this. I chose to stick with it when it was, when I was pushed in that direction, but I didn't sit down one day and be like, you know what? I'm going to be an actor. I didn't have that kind of confidence in myself. You don't see a whole lot of people who look like me doing this job. You see more now, but at, at the time, you definitely did not see a lot of faces that look like mine. And still, I get the, well, you don't quite fit into any family, so we can't cast you in roles. You, you don't look black enough. You don't look white enough. Like You just don't fit in these predetermined families. Where to me, because I am mixed, my family is all mixed up. Family to me means a mixed family. <laughs> Yeah, that, I have to say that was kind of where my brain went. I, I don't really understand that mentality that, oh, we, we can't fit you in somewhere. Well, surely that that kind of insert insult here about the person who says that, because I don't get that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We'll just say narrow-minded. How about that? Yes, we'll go with that. That's Yeah, that's crazy that you kind of wrote your own pathway accidentally and followed your own pathway that you had written yourself from a dream. That's fascinating. It even manifested in me visiting London the first time because I had written this story about an author slash actress. This is before I started acting who had to go there for research. And then I was presented with this opportunity to do just that. And it was just, well, that's just like in the book I was writing, you know? <laughs> I should probably do this. <laughs> so I met this girl and she, I went online and asked for help. Like, okay, so I need help finding my way around London because I have to do all of these research trips. You know, I need to get all this research in because I have all these different stories, but I'm terrible with directions. I've never been there. I don't know how to find my way around. Help me. And so she helped me plan each day and how to get everywhere and then she met me one of the days and took me around. And then the second time I was in London, I got lost and my phone was not working. The GPS just would not work. So I called her and she ended up taking pictures on her phone and sending them to me over WhatsApp. Like it saved me. <laughs> but now if I get lost in London, I'll probably call Mike. Yeah. Help. <laughs> <laughs> that's incredible I mean, it says it says something about your ability to sort of make connections that you know you were able to call this person and then just go oh hi yeah sure <laughs> i surround myself with awesome people that's what it is mm. it's a good way to live life so when was do you remember the first time you sort of something tweaked for you in a geeky way when what was your first experience i don't know that i remember my first experience i know that the first comics i read were archie comics which some i loved some i didn't they seemed kind of tame to me there was something missing so the first time i saw superhero stuff it was like oh this is much cooler you know <laughs> like okay there is the relationship stuff in the archie comics and I find that interesting, but it felt like it was rehashed a lot. Like there was never any progress. The storylines never went anywhere. And so 
it was DC comics. That's what I, that was the first superhero stuff I saw. And I absolutely loved Batman. He is one of my three fictional crushes and I just love, love, love him. I love his darkness. I love his violence and I love his rules that even though, even though he, he breaks so many laws, he's still the good guy. I think he was my first love of anti-heroes. However, I was already kind of in love with Dracula because of the book Dracula, you know, <laughs> this is which I had read before being introduced to comic books. And so they have that anti-hero thing in common there and they both have the bat theme, you know. <laughs> Dracula was my first Batman. <laughs> that's interesting so how did it develop from there then because obviously you talked earlier about some of some of the powers that you've always thought about in your mind and some of the characters that speak to you more where how did you sort of direct yourself from batman onwards it was catwoman cats used to follow me around when i was little they would the neighborhood cats would flock to my house if I went to someone else's house, their cat would always, you know, find its way to my lap. I've just always had this way with cats. Like we've had this connection and we understand each other. I've been in bookstores and come to find out a cat lives in the bookstore and people, you know, the people who own the bookstore will be like, Oh, she doesn't usually come out. She knows that I'm, I'm a cat person. You know, she knows that, I'm here for her as much as she's here for me. And so when I see this character in this awesome costume <laughs> who has this power to communicate with cats, it's like, that's just like me. They, they made a character who does have my powers, you know, <laughs> not superpowers, but she was still able to do super things. And bonus, she gets to be with Batman. So she solidified my my love of comics right there. And I know it's not really opening up my world. There's so many, there's so very many comics out there. But that was kind of my introduction to, okay, this is much cooler than what I was reading. You know, you read the Archie comics and I want to live like Veronica, but Betty's a nicer person and I will take Jughead any day over Archie, you know? <laughs> It just didn't feel like those comics were written for me. You get to this dark world of Gotham. Like, yes, this is it. This is what I want. Again, it's like life seems to be creating your story as you go. Very, very strange. <laughs> <laughs> it's all about manifestation, right? <laughs> yeah. It's slightly scary. You seem to be creating creating the things as you go along. I'm starting to wonder about your real life powers. Which we won't discuss on air. <laughs> <laughs> so how, why do you think it is that the, the darker characters seem to speak to you more? I've had very little patience for the sunshine characters in general. The Mary Sue's. It's like, yeah. I want to hurt you too, you know, <laughs> get out of my face with that. It doesn't feel real. That's not real life. 
Mm. It's very rare that you find someone who is genuinely sunny and not false with it. Can you think of any person in your life who is just truly optimistic in a real way and not, Mm. I'm just ignoring the bad stuff. Real life is full of desires and temptations and passions. And I find that in the darkness. It's real life and you decide how to deal with it. Is it like a, I don't know, like opening up uh, the other side of reality and, you know, if things were as dark and horrible as they often are in superhero comics, this we wouldn't be the, the nice, happy, clappy I people. I think they are. I think they are as dark as they are in superhero comics. They, they may not be super powered, mm. but that darkness is real and it is in this world. Mm. And darkness mm. is not necessarily evil. I don't want you to confuse the two. I'm good. I'm not nice. <laughs> I'm dark, but I'm not evil. Not really. I guess it's relating to the thick skin that you have to build up in life. Right. And you see all of these tragedies happening. So these stories are a way of dealing with them, of escaping from them, of finding solace. You know that real life inspired these stories, though. Even the ones that seem out of this world, they're based in something. I mean, look at the X-Men comics. That was based on the oppression of gay people. So it seems like this super fantastic world, but no, it's the world we were already living in. It just didn't affect maybe many of the readers. But if you were involved in that, you saw it. You're like, oh, I see what they're doing there. I see what they're bringing in because, you know, you couldn't actually say it back then. Yeah. I guess it does go back to what you were saying before. Like people aren't happy, clappy, optimistic. And when you relate comic books to the world that we live in, that is kind of how it would go. You would have to be the, the hero who's a little bit edgy and slightly anti-hero. And come on, even the villains think they're the heroes, right? Mm. Yeah, I read a piece a while back that was basically saying that um, Batman, Batman is the greatest antagonist in the comic book world because his whole purpose is to make sure that things don't change. I don't know that he thinks of it that way. No. I mean, he did say he wanted to clean up Gotham City, but he can't be successful and then continue having a series, right? <laughs> well, yeah, this is true. I mean, as Bruce Wayne, he could spend his fortunes and change Goth- Gotham City for the better in some very notable ways overnight. But of course he can't because it's a comic book. But also, you know, going along with the story, he chooses not to. And that didn't work out for his dad, did it? No, that is a very good point. That is a very good point. <laughs> so what sort of stuff do you like to to read? Because you, you said it's all about storytelling for you. Does does that go through to your your other loves as well with, with books and movies? Do you enjoy the same sort of stories? I do. 
I, I will read any genre from comic book all the way up to literary fiction, but language choice is always going to be important to me. So there are going to be the comics that are just brilliant where they have the right words on the page and the right pictures to tell that story. You get something like Watchmen that is absolutely a piece of art, but then you get other stuff where it's just like, what, what were they thinking? All these words on the page and the pictures aren't doing anything. And it's just, you know, there's a quality difference with every medium. There are going to be C-level movies and there are going to be A-plus movies. That's why it frustrates me so much when some of the big budget stuff gets away with being lazy. It's like, you guys have the money and the time to get this right. So, okay, I will give some leeway to a low budget film because they didn't have the options and the opportunities. They oftentimes are restricted by when they're even allowed to shoot. Like, okay, we have the location. We need to get what we can get now. But when you have one of these multi-million dollar budget things, get it right. Don't steal from the public by saying, hey, it's good enough. We'll just move on. I, I have a, a big gripe about some of the special effects that we see in some of these movies. And I, you know, I mentioned it with, the She-Hulk series, they didn't give their people enough time to do quality work. But even in some of the movies, they do that. Like the fight scene in Black Panther, I hate that scene. The, the scene that is between Killmonger and T'Challa by the train, it looks oh, yeah. so bad. <laughs> so there's this awesome movie where they have all these amazing colors and costumes and music they use all of that to tell this amazing story and then they just throw in this hideous scene that just it's like a black mark on the entire movie where other people will see that ignore it and move on it's just a piece of it and they don't they don't retain it well for me it was it's a wound you know <laughs> and if the rest of the movie weren't so amazing that wouldn't stand out so much to me is it that same mentality that you you go with your music you're kind of looking at the layers and you're taking it apart and but then you've got this one particular layer which you're just letting the whole thing down yeah there will be songs that are like that it's like i love the song except for this one part but there are fewer examples of that i think that the the music that i listen to they're generally better at just putting together what they want to have i'm not sure what that reason is where they're they don't have this this scar on the song. It's much rarer, but maybe it's because the artist is still more in control of the output mm. with music, as opposed to a movie where, you know, a studio, the money is in charge there. I feel like the, the money is less behind the music creatively than in movies or television. Do you think it's, helping or sort of hindering the the culture in in the long run like the direction it's going in do you think people will start getting fatigued by it or will this help the culture it was helping and i think now because they are just scraping by like look at wonder woman 84 they put out a really good movie. The first one was really good. They bring in the same people and then they just throw this piece of crap at us. And you're wondering, 
who authorized this? Who looked at this and thought this makes sense as a story? Because if you dissect that movie and the things that they throw at you there, it just, it doesn't make any kind of sense. And the people involved are too talented for that to be okay. And there was too much money involved for it to be okay. It just, it looked terrible. The storyline didn't make any kind of sense. They threw in random things at the end, like, oh, by the way, it's 4th of July in Washington, D.C., but you haven't seen any evidence until three quarters of the way into the movie. And I'm pretty sure in Washington, D.C., the 4th of July is going to be a pretty big holiday where people are trying to sell fireworks and flags and things everywhere. Like, nothing in the background suggested that it was Independence Day. But now that we're in a plane, it is. What? I just, I can't with that. (laughs) It's not okay. Especially when you lifted us up to this level of expectation, like the storyline, at least for the Wonder Woman stories. I'm frustrated with DC in general with their storytelling because they have great stories from the comics and they're doing a terrible job of translating them to film. Like they just can't figure out what they want to do. They can't, like... Do we want to be humorous or do we want to be serious? Are we going to be dark and gritty? Pick one, do it really well, and your audience will love you for it. Now, it doesn't mean all audiences will love you for it. Stop trying to cater to all audiences. It's not going to work. But it must be quite frustrating for someone like yourself who you, you're in the industry and you know what can be done. You know what could happen and, you know... And it, I imagine, you know, it would be the dream if you were in a production of that size and the things that you could do in a production of that size, it must be even more frustrating when they take something that you love and then take it so far and then just go. That brings us back to Catwoman, where there should have been an amazing Catwoman movie, but that did not happen because what what they put out there was not Catwoman. It wasn't even Selena Kyle. And they have this talented, gorgeous actress who could play the role very well. And instead, they give her this piece of crap script with just terrible everything. Just everything. I haven't even seen the movie. It, it's, it looked so bad to me. I was so annoyed with this concept that I did not watch the movie, but I have seen clips from it. I've heard snippets. The dialogue is so bad. The acting is so bad. And what could they do? What could the actors do to make this good? It was just doomed from the beginning. So you either just throw yourself into the horrible camp of it or you walk away from the project. And I I was a little annoyed with Halle Berry for not saying, no, I am too important to be part of this crap. Like I wanted her to stand up for herself and stand up for Catwoman and say, this is terrible and I want this to change. But she hadn't won her Oscar yet. And I don't know that she realized how much power she really could have. I'm not angry with her anymore because I understand that when you are an actress of color, you might want to, you know, not rock the boat when you're on your way to making a name for yourself. She had a name to be sure, but that didn't have the same kind of power as, maybe some of her non-black equivalents. She got a Razzie and an Oscar in the same year. 
<laughs> yeah, the power that she did have, it would be a lot more fragile than somebody else. But when I found out about this movie, I was pissed with her. It's just like, how did you let this happen? You are so talented. You could have just told them no. Just tell them I'm not doing this crap. This is not Catwoman. But also, what do I know about her knowledge of the background information? She may have never read a comic book in her life. Not everyone would go into it as passionately about Catwoman as I do. <laughs> no. And then through all the, you know, all the damage that they've done with their interesting work. Um you still love it. It still means a lot to you. I don't love that project. No, not that one in particular. But Yeah, but I just want to be clear because <laughs> our friend Mike has a way of teasing me about how that's my favorite movie, and it is not. I don't think that Marvel has knocked it out of the park on every occasion. Yeah. Kind of holding out for the hope that they're going to do it well. Because there were some really good moments in Black Adam, and there were some really cringy moments. I think if they had leaned into one, make it a comedy or make it a serious comic book film, like you can make it a serious comic book film. And I think that some of the people creating these stories feel like you can't, and that's not respecting the material. There's some, there are some very serious topics done through comic formatting. It doesn't have to all be fun and games and silliness and colors. Sure. There are some, some that lean into that but this felt like it was pieces of shazam but then okay let's make it a serious story too and i think it could have been a great movie if they had leaned into the serious because they were dealing with very real topics and instead of leaning into that and i don't know maybe teaching the audience something i'm not saying in a heavy-handed virtue signaling way but just show just show the story show them so that they can absorb it through witnessing it. They would throw in these lines and then mm. back to silliness. It must be very frustrating that they keep getting so close for you, but they're not getting that final step. This one wasn't frustrating for me because I went in not expecting much. Mm. So something like Thor Ragnarok, that frustrated me especially because it appealed to so many more people. And the first movie is phenomenally better than this one. The first one deals with familial ties and Shakespearean themes and, you know, relationships between fathers, sons, and brothers, all of this very heavy stuff. And I think it was beautifully directed. I'm not saying it didn't have some silly moments that were, you know, eye rolling, but and I have a crush on Taika, Taika too, so <laughs> it hurts me to say this, but it was just too silly. We're dealing with the end of their world, and it's like, ha-ha, anus joke. No, it was not okay with me, and it was treated like a comedy when that one more than any other should have been very serious. Especially for someone who does like that side of the stories you said you like the serious stuff you you want it to reflect yeah. that part of the world now they did get hella right like she was fantastic hmm. she told everyone what would happen if she had the ring well <laughs> that's it you know at this point it's not even really a big escape anymore 
you know, and we talked about me being a workaholic earlier. For me, reading or going to the movies or watching shows, that's research too. For characters I might play, for stories I might write, you never know where you're going to find inspiration. So if I'm watching something and it pulls me in so much that I'm not thinking about any other character in my head, either one that I I need to learn how to play or a storyline that I'm trying to write, then that's a successful story. That's a successful medium. If it has pulled me in and I'm not thinking about this other stuff anymore. But then afterward, I can reflect on what I learned watching that or reading that. What was it that sucked me in so deeply that I, I wasn't paying attention to the outside world anymore? That's what I need to put into my stories. Your work is so important to you. It's also your work is kind of, like you said earlier, it's almost a manifestation of your dreams that have come to reality. And is is this just all, you know, life is your dream now. This is, you're just enjoying, <laughs> you're living that dream. And so everything is, you know, everything is what you want to be doing. It's, it's not so rose-colored as that. I mean, it's still... <laughs> These are challenging careers, writing and and acting. What you do basically is you, with your auditioning and your submitting and your querying and things like that, you, re- you invite rejection daily. So I, I wouldn't throw it out there. I'm living my dream, but I am working my dream jobs. Because my dream involves not needing to be on social media anymore, (laughs) doing it as a choice, not as a job, being able to create whatever stories I want without hindrances. That would be my dream. Mm. Being the producer behind all of these projects, being able to use the money from my art to create more art and, you know, provide opportunities for other people who haven't made it to where I am yet. That would be my dream. Now, I can justify all of these artistic inputs by saying that it's work, but the truth is they feed my passion. They feed my passion for storytelling. And you can learn something even from bad storytelling. You learn what not to do. Then when you meet someone like Spider Dan, who's constantly showing you things that are maybe not the greatest, (laughs) (laughs) you learn a lot about storytelling, about bad storytelling. Yeah. He's good at that. Some of the things he subjects himself to, like, why are you watching this? (laughs) Why are you watching it again? (laughs) You know? But then it makes for interesting conversations, right? And... He's the person where if I have this movie that I think, you know, it's not good, but it's really fun. He's the one I'm going to talk to about it because he's open to those kinds of things. He has made himself very amenable to my torture. (laughs) (laughs) He's good like that. Yes. (laughs) Whereas if I see something awesome, it's like, oh, let me talk to Mike about this because he doesn't have time for the awful. (laughs) He's too busy. <laughs> yeah. Um. See, so I yeah, I guess that's for people who come away with similar thoughts about these movies, about you know the disappointment and 
why should they keep trying or why should they try the comic books based on you know maybe going to the cinema and be disappointed what what would you say to them to keep giving things a go or to give new things a go what would be your your sort of your urge to them well if you're not into comic book stories i wouldn't suggest that you go it doesn't have to be for you watch what you love I think part of the problem is they're trying to appeal to people who don't like this stuff. Well, that's not your audience. The initial success was because they were making it as, as fans for fans, it felt like. And then they were like, well, well, let's get some of these other people who now are hearing about the stuff. Let's add this lowbrow humor so that we can appeal to more people. And I don't think that was necessary. Because you look at a Guardians of the Galaxy, that movie was brilliant, and they had lots of lowbrow humor, but it knew what it was. Like, that's what this film is going to be. We're going to use the music, and we're going to use the storytelling, and we're going to make it, this is our theme. You know, we we are going with this from beginning to end. And they they did it wonderfully. It's when you try to throw that element into a storyline where it doesn't belong because, Hey, it worked over here. Yeah. Because that was their thing. Let it be their thing. So I wouldn't recommend that you go if it's not your thing, it doesn't have to be your thing. Go enjoy what you do love. But if you are experiencing superhero fatigue, when you thought that you love these stories, I don't know that it's the superheroes that are doing it. It might it might be something else because I keep hearing that phrase and yeah, I've been very disappointed with some of the stories and some of the elements that have come out, but I'm not tired of superheroes. I'm still looking forward to the next great one. I'm not going to shut down the entire genre because of a recent slew of bad movies because I don't think it's, it's not the genre. I don't blame the genre for this. You can find more from Tonya on her website, MissTonyaTodd.com. There you can keep up to date with her writing and her acting. You can also find our podcast, 52 Love, on all your favourite podcast catchers. You can also keep up to date via Twitter and Instagram, at MissTonyaTodd. Tonya will also be teaching at the Atlanta Writers' Conference, being held on May 5th, 2023. Links to all of these will be available in the show notes. As always, thank you for listening. As I said at the start, we'll be taking a short break now from new episodes, but remember to keep a lookout for my other shows, all the details to which are at the website superdummy.co.uk. You can contact the show at Era of Geek on social media or head to superdummy.co.uk slash geek. If you like the show, please do leave a review and tell your friends, and I'll see you soon.